Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life, with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Like to welcome you to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. We are on our summer vacation this week, but you know what? We've got another really great interview and great episode for you guys. So, normally our programming provides information on poster updates, uh, employment law, things that are happening across the nation, and we're going to get all that caught up with you guys for next week. So, definitely check us out after that. But today is such an awesome interview that I didn't want to miss the opportunity for you guys to hear from co-speaker over at Eagle Rice Speakers Bureau, Ryan Muncy. And what we talk about, and Ryan is a really awesome guy, and today we're actually talking about how you can't build a high-performing team without gaining buy-in. And you'll learn about Ryan's book. Uh, He's just an overall great guy, so this is an awesome interview. Guys, definitely take a listen in. And for those of you who are tuning in, uh, like I said, this is for the first time, this is a truncated version of our show just because it is summer break for us and given everybody a little bit of a little bit of a, of a rest. And then we'll be back full force uh, for the next episode, which is absolutely going to be awesome. You are not going to want to miss it. It's called How to Stay Up When You're Down with very special guests, Mark Victor Hansen, who is one of the primary authors of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, along with Mitzi Perdue, who is the widow of Frank Perdue over Perdue Chicken, and the daughter of the founders of Sheridan Hotel, and Preston Weeks, who is an awesome all-around guy. He is one of the co-authors of the book that we talk about, um, Car Nut, super, super entrepreneur, really cool guy, enjoyed talking and working with him. And matter of fact, it's just a really great episode. So definitely tune in again next week as well, because we're going to have, that is, that is, that is going to be an awesome show. This is an awesome show too. That is going to be an awesome show as well. And actually Mark is coming back later in September uh, to talk about his new book, Ask, that he wrote with his lovely wife. So Now, I also want to remind you guys that you have the ability still to go in and register for the free Active Shooter webinar that's taking place on August 4th, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you do that by going to the bestpractices.org website on the homepage. You'll be able to see the link where you can sign up. You'll get an agenda, you'll get a checklist, and you're going to get fantastic information. Cannot wait to see you guys there. All right, so guys, listen, if you are tuning in for the first time, thank you again so much for being here. This is another epic interview. You're going to love it. And for those of you who are returning time and time again, thank you so very much. You guys are just wonderful. Love having you around. Can't wait till you guys hear this episode. So I'm just going to get right to it. There are approximately 2,500 members of the U.S. Special Operations Community who transition out of active duty military service every single year. The Honor Foundation has dedicated its mission to serving these elite individuals on their journey to prepare for life once they take off the uniform. 
In the past few years, we've begun our own journey to reach this number, launching three physical campuses in San Diego, California, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and near Wilmington, North Carolina, along with a virtual campus to reach members of the community anywhere on the planet. I spent 26 years in the special operations community as a SEAL. I graduated from THS program, I served on the board of directors, and now I'm proud to lead this organization into the future to continue assisting these transitioning service members and their families. Our dedicated team, our world-class program, and our incredible tribes of supporters are standing by to help THF alumni and future fellows, and are committed to providing the best possible support system and resources to better serve this community. Our vision for the Honor Foundation is clear, to impact every transitioning service member from the U.S. Special Operations Enterprise through our programs and support, and to be a catalyst for overhauling the entire DOD transition program. It's a big task, but the community deserves it, and we're driving full steam ahead to make this a reality. If you've been inspired with what the Honor Foundation's done in the last five years, I welcome you all to join us as we craft the next chapter in defining what it means to serve others with honor for life. Today, I have a fellow Eagle Rise speaker on with me. So Ryan's a pretty awesome guy. Ryan Muncy is a high-performing coach and author and also one of the speakers for the Eagle Rise Speakers Bureau. And we met unofficially <laughs> through, through, through the Bureau. Uh, we wound up doing an online summit together a few weeks ago. And uh, he's an awesome guy, and I love what he had to say. And some of the things that he was talking about made me think, it's like, you know what? I really like what he talked about as far as high-performing teams. And, and this is a great opportunity to bring some expertise to the table um, so that you guys can hear, uh, like, how, how do companies build high-performing teams, how you as an HR pro can uh, work with uh, other people to build high-performance teams when maybe that's not even the focus. And how do you overcome some of the obstacles? And for those of you who are senior leaders that are listening, uh, this is also really, really great gold nuggets of information to take away. So welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Brenda. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. We had a lot of fun the other day. Um, it was you and Inez and I with Jay doing the, uh, the summit for Eagle Rise, and that was a blast. It was. It was a lot of fun. And Jay's intros are the best. Yours was pretty good, too. But I had a, a, friend, who was, uh, a friend who was in that uh, virtual summit, and he texted me. And he said, everyone needs a hype man like Jay to follow them around. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, he is so funny. Did you see, you know how they've been doing their, uh, uh, their lives with the, um, and Jay's been on the show, so if anybody's been listening, you can go back and listen to Jay's episode. But did you see when they were doing one of their live episodes and his wife accidentally hit a button and all of a sudden he had all these filters coming on his face and like the space helmet <laughs> and oh, it was hilarious. It was just absolutely I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. And he just absolutely rolled right with it. He's got like the best laugh on the planet and it just, it totally made Real. it. Yeah, Jay's good people. And, uh, and like I said, he was a, you know, definitely check out Jay's episode because he's got really, really great information on how to get off the X. But we're not here to talk about Jay. We're here to talk about Ryan. So, um, yeah, so you're a high performance coach and you are an author of a book. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Because it's awesome. 
Sure. Thank you. Uh, the book is called F Your Feelings, and the subtitle is Master Your Mind, Accomplish Any Goal, and Become a More Significant Human. Um, this book is really, uh, the one of the other potential titles was The Neuroscience of High Performance, and we thought that that might scare a few people away. Um, the title that we decided on might scare some people away also, but um, it, at least it doesn't appear to be so highbrow. Uh, but it is a very science-heavy book, and it's really my attempt to explore and explain uh, why some people are successful and other people are not, both in individual pursuits, but also team and, and organizational pursuits. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the other day on the summit, we talked about quite a bit of it, and, and there's a lot of overlap between, you know, uh, emotional intelligence and our ability to, uh, you know, as the, the first part of the subtitle mentions, you know, master your mind. If we're not able to control our thoughts, uh, our feelings, uh, you know, the, the space between our ears, then, you know, those things start to hijack our decisions and our actions. Uh, and then it just compounds from there. And so, um, you know, like I said, it was really my attempt to understand why some people are able to succeed and other people are not. And, um, you know, the book published uh, just over two years ago, and it's been received far better than I could have expected, and it's been a really fun ride since then. So I'm, I'm really grateful to, uh, to get to put this into the world and, and to interact with all the people who have found it and, and found me through it. Yeah, that's awesome. So thank, first off, thank you for not making me flip this to an explicit show. <laughs> <laughs> the title. I <laughs> You're welcome. Well, it's an HR show, right? I got to be HR friendly. Yeah, you know, yeah, you did good. You did real good on that one. And you know, we're all adults too. So, um, it, but, uh, but what made you, I mean, what was, what was like, what drove you to write it? Well, I'll go, I'll give you a, the shortest version of my backstory that I can <laughs> possibly give you. Um, I grew up playing sports my whole life. And so, you know, when we do start talking about organizations and high-performing teams, yeah, I do use analogies from sport. Um, so just we'll get that out of the way now. I apologize for any non-athletes. Uh, but I, I played sports up until college. I wasn't good enough to play in college. And um, my roommate uh, was also my best friend in high school at home. And he was on the track team. We went to Clemson University. And he was a high jumper. And, you know, I got to hang out with the track team. Uh, quite a bit. It, that track being a non-revenue sport, they didn't really care as long as you looked like you belonged and didn't, you know, mess with anybody or anything. You could hang out and, you know, go through workouts and whatever. And so uh, at Clemson, there were, you know, some football guys who ran the 100 meters uh, for the track team. And, you know, two of them went on to, to the NFL and one of them went on to uh, return or um, uh, run 100 meters for Team USA. Um, one of them was actually an Olympic medalist. And so, you know, I got to learn sprint technique and performance on the physical side mm -hmm. uh, at an arm's length. And, you know, it, it really showed me at that time in my life, like where my gaps were. And, and I really, at that point, I became obsessed with human performance and human potential. Uh, I ended up changing my major. Um, I, I got a degree in food science and human nutrition. I wanted to do exercise physiology, but Clemson didn't have that. So what I did was as close as I could get. Um, so, you know, I, I left school. I had a degree in nutrition. Um, you know, I was really at that time obsessed with, you know, how we can 
manipulate or change certain variables uh, in regards to our inputs, how we train, how we eat, how we sleep, all of those things, and get different outputs. And so, you know, I, I was always very analytical and very science heavy and um, ended up, uh, that, that served me very well as, and has served me very well as I've continued through my path. But um, I ended up uh, starting my own gym in 2012. And, you know, that was after four years, three and a half years of um, being a personal trainer at big box facilities. And um, you know, I got to work with college, uh, high school and college athletes, as well as you know, general population of adults. And, you know, working on fitness goals, health goals, nutrition goals. It, after, you know, I sold the gym in 2016. And so from 2009 to 2016, you know, I saw a lot of people, worked with a lot of people. Um, thousands and it, it just by two, by the time 2016 came around I was very tired of this the questions of you know oh, how many burpees do I have to do to undo what I did this weekend or you know how many like that that type of conversation or discussion and the like x's and o's sets and up um, it, it was very boring to me at that point I was more fascinated with why are your actions on Saturday and Sunday out of alignment with the things that you tell me you want for your life? And, you know, rather than come in on Monday to start from scratch, like what, what is going on that you're doing these things? And, and so that conversation just transcended for me, health and fitness and, and nutrition. And, um, you know, from 2016 to 2018, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of researchers, um, a lot of special forces, uh, operators, um, you know, people at the highest level of both the theory uh, in the in the academic world, as well as the the application side of this, uh, Olympic athletes, and um, and then that's what really made me sit down in 2017 and write this book and say, okay, look, this is a question that I've been dying to to, to try to figure out. I've been talking to all these people. And so, you know, here's my attempt to put this user's manual out there for all of the people who, you know, look at an Olympian or a Navy SEAL or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a Richard Branson. And they say like, I want to be at that level in my pursuits. Um, and so, you know, that's really what drove it. I love, I've, I've always loved studying, um, building high performance teams. And as you know, that there's a lot of group dynamics that go into it. Um, you know, I've had the privilege of working for five fortune 500 companies. Um, the last three that I worked for were very focused in on building high performance teams. And, um, you know, the goal obviously would be to do that across the enterprise and across the organization, but you know, that's not, that's not as much as you want to do it. It's not always the case, especially when, you've got, you know, more people, which makes more layers and, you know, not everybody's quite skilled at communicating the same thing amongst, you know, down the line, we'll yeah. just put it that way. <laughs> but, but, um, yep. but nonetheless, you know, it's something that in my opinion, if you want a really highly effective organization, doesn't matter what size it is, you can never not be committed to building a high performing team. Because the more you're committed to it, the more it lives in your culture, in your organization, in your communication, in your vernacular, and how you're modeling 
behavior, it's going to rise. You know, your people are going to follow you. It, it's just not everybody, but you're, and you know, and that's fine, but you're going to have a element of a high performing team. And, um, you know, back, <laughs> back in the day, I was very much, I, I've had to learn to keep one foot on the ideal plane and one foot firmly planted on the ground because I thought, you know, oh, this is great. This is something easy. Everybody can do. <laughs> it's like, nope, mm -hmm. you know, and, the, and that's the reality. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of work. Um, but it's something that every company can achieve and you're going to achieve it within certain elements of your population. And, um, and that's what I love about what you're talking about is really starting to understand what it what it means and what it takes to build a high performing high performance team but there's a, a significant element to this and this is what i really really was excited to talk to you about significant element to this that no matter whether it's a high performing team that you're focused on or not and in this listenership this is something that they struggle to get especially if they are in the hr role who they don't have um, uh, like the ability to make a determination as to whether or not they should separate with a with an employee or not. They can make the recommendations. They're really more influencers all the way up to those who are, you know, at that level where they can, yeah, we're going to terminate this individual or, you know, make those, you know, important business decisions. And that is getting buy-in. And we'll just start with getting buy-in because it is so critical. And it's also one of those things that if you don't know how to do it, you're going to struggle getting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really important conversation. And I think one of the things that I see owners, um, so I, first of all, I get to work with consider two different cultures. One is kind of the startup or entrepreneur culture. And then the other is, uh, like, as you mentioned, a, a fortune 500 or, or a bigger an organization or an entity where you know, if you are working with the C-suite, they're not necessarily founders or owners. Um, right. On the entrepreneur or startup side, they usually are the founders or the owners, right? right? And so either way, when you're at that level, you have individuals who have certain values and are motivated by certain things. And usually what motivates an owner or a founder or an entrepreneur is something different than what motivates an employee. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is assuming that other people have the same values and are motivated by the same things. And so I'll give you an example. Um, you know, if, if, if I'm working with, um, or not working with, but like just if we're, if we're talking about an entrepreneur um, or the founder of, you know, a startup, this is, as an entrepreneur, we value uncertainty, we value flexibility, we value the space to create that, that lateral movement. Um, you know, we're okay with a certain amount of risk, right? Whereas if someone is an employee, um, and that's not to say that an employee isn't um, as, like this isn't placing judgment, one isn't right or wrong, it's just identifying what people uh, value. And so an employee probably doesn't have the same tolerance for risk, doesn't have the same um, desire for uncertainty. They have a greater desire for certainty. They want to know, hey, no matter what happens, I'm going to make, you know, $100,000 this year and I've got benefits and I've got this and I'm okay with that 
not necessarily changing and, mm-hmm. and not having like, yeah, every employee wants to know that they can grow and have upward trajectory, but it's different for an employee than it is for say the founder of a business. Right. right. And so the problem we make at the top is that we assume everybody else is motivated by the same things. And so when you when you talk about buy-in, the first thing we have to do is, is understand what values everyone else has and what motivates them. And so if I don't know what motivates you, and I just assume that the things that motivate me will motivate you, if you're a mid-level manager, and I come to you and say, hey, well, if you do this and we do this and get this, then you get this, this, and this. Well, if you don't want those things, you're not going to be motivated. You're not going to buy in. So before I can even dangle that carrot in front of you, I have to make sure that it's a carrot you want. Exactly. A year, you know, years ago I worked for a company and I had a a high level manager. We were, you know, all at the same level in the organization. And he was, he was, and I said, man, I worked so hard to try and satisfy this guy. And right as soon as I thought that I was going to give him the answer that he wanted to hear or give him the information that he wanted to hear, he just kind of kept on complaining. (laughs) I finally got to the point and I said, look, here's the deal. It's not going to be perfect. Okay. I said, you know, you're, you're, I don't have time to listen to you. I, I think very highly of you, but I don't have time to sit here and listen to constant complaining. We're proposing, you know, the resolution for this and it doesn't seem to want to satisfy you. I don't know what more you want. So we can either one move forward with, with what it is that we're proposing and you get some sort of relief. It may not be picture perfect and, you know, or you can stand in the corner and click your heels together and go home. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what to tell you. And it finally snapped him out to the point where he realized that, you know, you are in fact giving me something that is workable. It's reasonable. Um, you know, I don't even think he fully understood what he wanted. I think he just wanted the situation to go away, but he just needed that playground to complain. But it was like, dude, you know, snap out of it. You know, let's move forward because we have other pressing things to do. And this is very small in the grand scheme of things. And it was kind of like, once he heard that, then I got the buy-in on it. But that was a very kind of extreme situation because that was months of listening to him complain every time I gave him a solution and he just wanted to continue to complain. And I'm just finally like, I don't have time for this. You know, it's, I want to help you, but I just don't have time to to just sit and do the complaining piece. I've got to, I've got to help you resolve this because I got 17 other things that are lining up on my desk that I have to have done by five today and it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. And, and I think it's just as, as a person in a position of leadership um, or even just a person in, in, in support or, or even part of being a good listener, regardless of the arena, right. is, you know, helping people sort through somewhere in the complaint is an ask. There's a request. There's a yes. reason that this person is coming and voicing that. And so, you know, peeling the layers of the onion of okay, I understand that, that you're frustrated or that you're not happy or something is motivating you, driving you to come and say these things. What is it that's like, what's the real fear here? What is it that yeah. you really want? What is the desired outcome? You know, asking questions and then listening, right? If we don't know how to help or support, like if, if we don't know what their fears are, or what they want, then we don't know how to help or support anybody, right? Whether that's, you know, getting buy-in or, you know, solving problems, Um, And I think that just goes back to the larger conversation of the importance of communication. And, you know, we're, we all know how to talk, but very few know how to listen well 
and how to guide and direct conversations uh, that lead to the desired outcome for both or all parties. And, and that's an important thing, whether you're in leadership or HR or, you know, just in a relationship at home. Right. Yeah. It, what I learned from that whole experience, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at hearing what people are saying and I'm here. I'm really good at listening to what people are not saying and, and picking up on that. But with him, it was very different. And he was that lesson that I learned. It was a very important lesson to where I always, when I, when I had a situation, somebody brings me a situation, be it consultant or sitting in the seat itself, I asked them this question, what is the desired outcome you're trying to achieve? And it's amazing when you ask that question, <laughs> what you get in response. And I asked him that yeah. in another situation because I knew better it was going to go down this, you know, several months of rambling and complaining and growling and, and I just didn't have the mental fortitude for it. And I finally asked him, I said, so what do you want to see happen with this? And he goes, I just want it to go away. I said, do you understand that that's not going to happen? <laughs> like, we have to put some sort of actionable solution in place for it to go away which means you have to have some hard conversations. And if you're not ready for that, then you don't really have a position or a platform to complain on. But, you know, and then you're just going to have to suck it up and live with it. And I don't mean to be rude or crass or snarky or anything like that. And that's what I told him. I said, but unless you are willing to jump on the bandwagon for this and do what needs to be done mm -hmm. to correct it, your situation is only going to frustrate you. I can help you get there, but I can't do it if you're not willing to get nope. dirty. Yep. And, and that's where some of the other uh, common, uh, I guess, buzzwords, if you want to call them that, that, that we've discussed previously and, and that, you know, often pop up in, in HR, leadership, high performance teams. I mean, you know, that's, it's, it's all about accountability, um, mm -hmm. individual responsibility. It, it, that's how I kind of talk about uh, something that most people would refer to as ownership, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, are you, uh, taking responsibility for your part in, you know, either the problem or, you know, perpetuating the problem or coming up with a solution. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, your ability to help him see that in, in that example, but also just in any scenario, uh, you know, is a very valuable skill set. Yeah. And, you know, and for those who are listening, you know, that, that was a very hard lined approach with somebody in a time where it was just consistent six to eight months of constantly complaining about the same situation, offering potential solutions, and that person just not wanting to do anything. So that that is definitely on the far end of the scale of Brenda's response <laughs> to helping somebody else. Yeah. You, you must be a saint for waiting six or eight months to say that. <laughs> it wasn't a daily occurrence. It was... It was Six to eight months of, you know, we're, we're talking about this again. It's like, why do we keep talking about this? And finally, I got to the end of my rope and I went, look, I said, you're, you're causing a lot of noise and noise just isn't going to do it. So I don't know. I don't know what to say. But anyway, it's, it's a really great, it's an example of, you know, I got bought into solution, bought into, you know, dealing with the solution, but now I have this, you know, manager, he was more of the senior level manager rather than mid-level. But when I say mid-level, I don't necessarily think of people, you know, like just at the manager level, I'm talking about the difference between your, your frontline employees and your executive leadership team, right? 
the, to me, those are your mid level. And so, and, and there's a wide variety of titles and ranges and levels of experience Mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. But that's where I'm talking about. It's like the people that are in the trenches and the ones that are, you know, leading the charge, so to speak. And that's who he was, you know, he had a very specific position, a specific role is high level, very high level responsibility. The guy's incredibly smart, but it was just, he wasn't bought in to solving his own problem, <laughs> which can happen too. And, and right. unless you're bought right. in to solving your own problem, problems aren't going to get solved. And it takes away from that element of building a, just even a performing team. Like we won't even go to a high performing team, just a performing team. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, a, a non-dysfunctional team, right? Like it's, <laughs> right. it's nearly it's nearly impossible to have a high performing team or a performing team uh, if the individuals are not performing or functional, right? If you have dysfunctional individuals, good luck not having a dysfunctional team. Right. Yeah, exactly. You'll have your CB players, not your, you know, your DF players or your A players. You're just kind of being that, well, we could be better, but eh, it's okay way it is. You know, and that's a very frustrating place, especially so, you know, a lot of what we do in HR, as you know, as anybody knows, we have our share of compliance driven stuff, a lot of it. And um, especially now that we've been in this pandemic thing where, you know, everybody, as far as I'm concerned, if you're in HR, you're getting a gold star for figuring out all of the changes that are taking place in the world around that. But um, and same thing in leadership. But then also you have, you know, um, People should be in this position to where they're working to make the company better. But often the people that listen to this are really more focused in on the compliance side with the effort to support making the company better because being in compliance makes that happen, especially if you're looking at hitting the bottom line. And so a lot of folks that I've talked to that listen to the podcast, they're you know part of the Next Gen Women in HR uh, group, is that they know they need to get something done. And I can't wait till you weigh in on this one. They know they need to get something done, but the boss won't back them up on it. Go. (laughs) Right. I I mean, my general, it's very rare that I would start to solve a, a, a scenario without asking more questions. So, I mean, I would go right into, you know, what is it that they, want or need to get done? Uh, you know, why is the boss not backing them? Why is the boss not behind them? I mean, um, again, to me, one comes down to what we've already talked about. There's somewhere, there is a break in communication there. Um, either the boss has a reason that that's not the right thing to do. And, you know, this individual doesn't, hasn't been informed or doesn't understand that either way, breakdown in communication or uh, like, I, I just, I can't, see a scenario where the root that misunderstanding doesn't come to communication in some way it so i'll give you an example right um unless and this is my opinion and um and this is from experience but if i have to present something that seems relatively innocuous in hr right that we should be doing something that we're not and we'll frame it as far as like a best practice, not necessarily compliance wise. Um, if it's something that we should be doing and we're not doing it, if I, I've learned that if I don't put it in the context of 
how it's going to support the company's objectives moving forward, or how it is going to positively impact the company's bottom line or positively impact the company's top line costs, then it's hard to get that sell because they don't understand why it's supported. It's just something to do, right? So that's right. kind of the biggest thing. And that, and that opens up a, a huge wide range of discussions around gaining buy-in to a, a lot of different things. But if I needed to do, let's say, for example, an I-9 audit, everybody's, <laughs> very few people do an I-9 audit. Some people do, but, and it's, and you sh and companies should do it. And basically what the I-9 in, right, for you is just the, the um, document that, where people go in, employers are required to do it, and it validates um, authorization to work in the United States, right? It's, it's, it supports immigration law here in the U.S. And okay. if they're not right, and your company were to get an audit, those fines add up really quickly, right? So for a leader, that's, that's an administrative thing. That's, that's a detail thing that really should, in their mind, should be, handled, should be handled appropriately in the very beginning, and we shouldn't have this problem. But it's a small thing in their big picture. And so trying to say, well, we need to do this audit, you have to have really, really, really great, it has to be broken down in a way that they understand why you need to do it, why it's important, what it could potentially cost the company in unrealized liability, and you know the time frame it's going to take, and um, who all needs to be involved, and what kind of burden is this going to put on taking people away from their number one focus on doing their job? That's that's that is something that people in this industry really have to put out there. Very clearly, in order to gain buy-in and get that top-level support that they need in order to move forward. That's just one example. Yeah, and I mean, again, like I, I just think those conversations to me that gets lumped into that umbrella of communication, right? Mm -hmm. It's just um, if if people don't know why it's important, what the potential, you know, downfalls could be or, or how it potentially helps us as a group achieve our goal, then, then you're right. Like they don't know why they're supposed to do what they're supposed right. to do. Um, it, you know, I said earlier, I use a lot of sports analogies. I mean, if you think about a football team, you know, there are, uh, if we grossly, uh, you know, uh, oversimplify it, you have, wide receivers and offensive linemen and running backs and a quarterback and everybody on that team, everybody on the field knows what their role is on each play and how it translates to the game, the, the season, the, the overall goal of winning a Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, the, the receiver knows, Hey, if I don't run this route and get open, then, you know, the quarterback can't throw me the ball. And the line knows if I don't block the guy that's trying to tear my quarterback's head off, then, you know, he can't do what he's supposed to do. And every single person, without explicitly having to communicate it on every single play, now they kind of do, they go to the huddle and they say, hey, we're going to do this one. And they've practiced this one, whatever, you know, they call like Tango 3-7. Like they know what that play is because they practiced it. They know what they're supposed to do. They know why they're supposed to do it. They line up, they snap the ball, they do it. And everyone knows if they fail to do what they're supposed to do, how that negatively impacts the team acutely and, you know, over time. Um, and so, you know, I think 
uh, you know, that's, uh, I, I like that analogy because I think it oversimplifies and, and makes very clear, you know, a, a scenario that, you know, my problem with a lot of the corporate world is like vague double speak and, you know, no speak and a lot of saying things, but nobody knows what the heck you're actually saying or talking about. And, you know, I think, you know, that's where we get into these conversations of, of high performance communication. And, you know, in our example here, if, if a wide receiver runs his route and he doesn't get open or he's not doing whatever it is that he's supposed to do, you know, pick like I used to use Tom Brady and the Patriots as, as the example. I might have to change that because he's no longer with them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in a game scenario or, or if it's Jay on a deployment with the Navy SEALs, mm -hmm. they don't have time for conversation that is vague and uses, you know, words that aren't clear, right? right. Tom Brady's going to go to his receiver. He's going to grab him by the face mask and he's going to say, dude, do your job, run your route get open so we can score a touchdown and win this game. It's like, there's no time in sports or warfare or, you know, these types of environments for what we see a lot of times in the corporate world. And I think that's a, it's a real frustration for me um, trying to help people in the corporate world break down those um, kind of industry norms, if you will. Right. And I highly do not recommend that you grab somebody's face in a corporate office and say, we don't do this or fill a rubber boat up with no. water and ice and have them take a dip down in the lobby. I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but you really want no, to. But there are HR friendly ways to do that. I know, but there's that piece in you where you're just like, man, I wish I could. If I could just thump you yeah. one time and that's all it would take. But, you know, <laughs> and that's the, but that's yeah. the feeling. It's yeah. like when you get, when you feel that way, that's when you know you have to shift your communication because, but, but you're right. You know, I mean, and that, you know, and that's going to be up to the company to determine, you know, are their policies and procedures effective? And you know what, when you're, you're right, when you get to, um, when you get to a corporation that is so big that it becomes too big for its own effectiveness, that's a huge undertaking. And you know, and that can happen in small mm -hmm. and medium sized businesses too. And I think we've all kind of learned yep. that lesson, you know, with what's going on with the pandemic and people, you know, having to work from home uh, a little bit more. I think companies realize that. Um, you know, they can't put the squeeze on everything. They can't Uber control every step so much to the point where is it, is it impacting our ability to get things done in the organization? Are we able to meet our client obligations? Are we making, you know, is this something that's going to start hindering our ability to bring in revenue? Um, and if we're to that point where we are, um, in our own back pockets on, uh, like, micromanaging our own processes so much that because you're just so afraid that something's going to go wrong it that doesn't work well no you you can't when you play not to lose you play different than when you're playing to win right totally. and um you know that's there there look we know that there are times where you have to be a little bit more protective and more defensive but uh as a long-term strategy it's uh, yeah, it, that's that's a very individual thing, and it depends on the scenario. But one thing I, I want to go back to is you, you said that you know no matter how big or small uh, the company is, you know it's an issue. But but the larger the company gets, 
um, you know, the more that, that this becomes uh, difficult. It, it, as you were saying that, it reminded me of uh, like the game that you play in kindergarten, telephone, right? When you line people up and the first person whispers something in their ear and it goes down. And I mean, we could do an experiment on that. And, and I'm pretty sure that the longer the line, the more that the original statement gets changed or mixed up. Right. And, and that's oh, just totally. like, like that's a kindergarten version of, of that lesson. And, you know, inherently we know that as, as a company grows and gets larger, that it's more and more important for that communication to be, you know, delivered in a way that cannot be misunderstood, to be, right. you know, communicated uh, often. And uh, it just, it, you can't overstate the importance of, um, you know, clear and effective communication. Um, and, you know, like you said, it, even in, you know, a, a company of five people, that can happen very easily. So um, it, it's very important that everybody on all sides of that, and, and this is when we talk about all sides, um, when I speak and, and work with groups, especially leadership or C-suite, you know, we, we talk about something that I call the, the leadership hourglass and it's kind of phase two or step two of this like diagram. And I can send you these if you want to put them in the show notes. Um, yeah. But um, there's a, there's a pyramid that I have and um, on the bottom of the pyramid. So if you imagine just a, a simple triangle, the bottom of that is individual responsibility. And then the second layer of that is trust. And then the top layer is teamwork. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able to master individual responsibility first. That's the foundation of everything, right? If you're, as we, we were joking about this earlier, if you're not a functional human being, then the next layer is trust. If you're not a functional human being, if you don't show up on time, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then it's very difficult for me to trust you, right? So that's the right. next layer is trust and vice versa. If I'm not that way, you're not going to trust me. Right. If, if I never do anything that I'm supposed to do and then I tell you, oh, you know, Brenda, you can go home early. I'll handle this for you. You're like, uh, this dude never does anything right. Like I'm not, you know, we're like so there's no trust. Right. And then the next layer of that is teamwork. And if there's no trust, then there's not going to be teamwork. Right. Go right. back to our uh, our football analogy. Like if I don't trust that my receiver is going to run that route exactly seven yards up the field and then cut in three yards. If I have to throw it before he makes his break, I have to trust that he's going to come three yards to the left and be there when the ball gets there. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's the pyramid. And then if we actually take that kind of copy and paste it and then flip it over. So now we have an hourglass. Does that make sense? Totally. Um, and on the hourglass, it just reverses. So you have teamwork, touching teamwork, and then you have trust and you have individual responsibility on the outsides. So it's kind of like a sandwich. Um, and when we look at that hourglass, anybody in a position of leadership needs to see themselves as that choke point in the middle of the hourglass, right? And if you think about like how the sand might funnel through an hourglass and then come down to the bottom, mm -hmm. if as a leader, you stop seeking new information, if you stop um, you know, learning and growing, if you stop receiving communication from the higher ups, you can't disseminate any of that stuff to your team or the people in your charge and vice versa. If, if the people underneath of me, if the people that I'm in charge of aren't giving me good intelligence, 
uh, or you know, data or doing whatever it is that they're supposed to do, then I can't take that to the people above me. And so this, this concept of you know, the hourglass is a great visual uh, that you know, shows people that information flows in two directions, that every position is dependent upon um, and impacts the positions above and below it. And it also highlights the importance of a lot of those um, individual components that we talk about, accountability, individual responsibility, and how that plays into trust and teamwork. Right. No, I totally agree. And you know, that choke point too. I love, I love how you talk about that. And it's like, I've just gotten, gotten lost in my own thought here listening to you. Um, which probably I shouldn't do when I'm the host of a podcast, but <laughs> you totally had me hooked on that one. <laughs> but <laughs> snap out of it, girl. Anyway, um, but what I liked about it is that it's not, you're right. It, it, but you know what? Influencers too need to be in that same mindset of the leader as you're ta- describing that choke point is that if you're not continuously learning or if you're not, you know, communicating effectively, mm-hmm. you you as an influencer really are a leader. You're just a different kind of leader. You're not, you know, you may yeah. not be the decision yeah, maker. Yeah, that's a really good point. But influencers are just as much impactful in leadership as they are anything else. Influencers can be highly successful uh, being the drum banger of, you know, the primary message. The influencer also is the person that can come in and actually work with the apex leader to talk through, um, you know, what needs to. So when I gave the, the, the whole spiel on, you know, doing the I-9 audit, right? If you're a really good mm-hmm. influencer, you're going to be able to get buy-in because one, you understand a person's trigger points, and this is not manipulation. This is just understanding that using your EQI and your emotional intelligence to effectively get stuff done, which is the same thing that a leader does, right? Um, and a decision maker. Right. So, so, but an influencer is somebody different. An influencer is somebody that can see both sides of the coin and work to find a mutual resolution between that, but yet also effectively communicate why it would be beneficial to both parties or all parties involved in order to do something. That's what this community in HR should be focused in on. I mean, yes, you do need your, your high level leaders. And, you know, we had Brad Patrick on a little while ago, who's the retired CHO of Aveline and, you know, was the uh, global VP of HR for Delta Airlines on 9-11 when it all took place. Yes, he's a decision maker, but he's also very much an influencer. And, and that's something that, you know, we demonstrated in, in the episode. So if those who are listening are trying to get stuff done and they keep running into the walls, take a look at how you're influencing. Because once you adjust that and you open your aperture to different skills, um, different talents, different talking points, different approaches, you're going to be more masterful at getting this buy-in and you can support the apex leadership of your organization to to accomplish the other objectives in the organization. And that's, and that's, that's a lot of what you're talking about as far as, you know, building that high performance team. Yeah. And it all comes down to, I mean, again, like I, I hate to oversimplify it and, and uh, you know, keep coming back to this, but it's, you know, it's communication and, and what is the ultimate goal. And I think that's why sports is such a uh, it's, it's a, it's an easy metaphor because when you're a football team, there's really only one outcome that, you know, can make you uh, earn you the, the title of, you know, a high-performing organization, and that is to win the Super Bowl. 
business is different because there are more than one ways to win. Right. Um, and so that's what makes business and, uh, you know, the, the corporate world or the professional world, uh, you know, a little bit different and unique because if I join a football team, I would expect them to say, Hey, our goal is, you know, to win the Super Bowl." Now there are a lot of teams that they don't say that they phrase it in different ways to do all kinds of like NLP and like fancy tricks, whatever. But the bottom line is, you know what the goal is to win football games exactly. in business. It can be a lot of, it can be a lot of different things. And, and because of that, it makes communication even more important. Um, and, and for all of those positions. And, and like you said, um, you know, mid-level management is a catch-all term for everybody in that telephone chain from person one to the end of the line. Right. And it's, it's extremely important that everybody understands, you know, what, what makes this a success and, yes. and what is it that we're working towards and what is my individual role in accomplishing that. And, you know, like we've kind of said uh, a lot in this episode, you know, that is, that's hard to do with a team of five. It's really hard to do with a team of 500. And I mean, to the, to the teams that have 5,000 or more employees, my hat's off to them. Right. Yeah. I hear you. It, it's not, there's nothing easy about it. I mean, if it was easy, we wouldn't call it work. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's how this process goes. Well, look, this is awesome. Thank you so very much for joining us. Um, would you please for a moment, tell people how they can get a copy of their book of your book and, and, uh, how they can reach out to you or follow you on social or anything like that. Sure. So like we said, the book is called F your feelings. It is available on Amazon. Uh, it's also on audible. I will read it to you. Um, and, <laughs> uh, you can also get, yeah, you can get signed copies, uh, on my website, ryanmuncie.com. And, and that website is sort of the hub for everything, um, online trainings. Um, if we ever get to speak in person again, um, you know, that's where that goes, uh, leadership experiences and things like that. So, uh, I do coaching, um, and it, I'm not that active on social media, but if I am, it's Instagram and that would be at Ryan Muncie with an underscore, uh, I think that's, oh, podcast. I, I do host my own podcast. It's called the better human project. And it's okay. available wherever you listen to podcasts. Wonderful. Well, thank you so very much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. This has been great. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.